Thank you, Heston. All right, before we dig into Philemon here again, let's pray together. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you have gathered us here. You have called us here um, so that we may benefit from this community that you call your body, that we call our church. Lord, I pray that um, our lives would be enriched. Lord, that we would be challenged today uh, by the good news that you are proclaiming to us through the life of Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. Lord, I pray that we would be spurred on uh, to be the love of Christ to those in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, two weeks on Philemon, and um, Allison focused last week a lot on Paul's message. What is, like, what is Paul really trying to get at here with this letter? And this week I get to step into the question we all have, right? What did Philemon do with it? Uh, we don't really know. We don't know what Philemon did with it. What we do know is we know, uh, just to recap some of what Allison talked about, uh, Onesimus was probably a runaway slave, and he comes to know Jesus Christ in the care of Paul. Philemon also was strengthened and grew in Christ in the care of Paul. Philemon is one of these early church leaders of the New Testament. And Philemon is this assumed slave owner, and he's also a Christian and part of one of Paul's house churches. Paul's letter appeals in Christ's love. Paul has this great confidence in Philemon that he talks about in verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So Paul already thinks kind of highly of Philemon, right? And maybe he's buttering Philemon up for the request that he's going to give later in the letter. I don't know. But I don't think Paul writes these things lightly. One of the main things uh, that Allison talked about last week is that Christ's love means that our relationships look a little different. And this is the question that comes up. You have a slave owner who is now a Christian. You have a slave who ran away who is now a Christian. What is this unity in Jesus Christ that can even bring these two people together so that they can find reconciliation? And then Paul doesn't even order Philemon to do it, although he could, right? He says in verse 8, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to, verse 9, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. This love that Paul writes about is the love that Jesus Christ has shown in his own life, and he's now hoping will be shown in this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. So the main thing here in Philemon is, is that we are called to step into the conflict and tension and the mess of these broken relationships that we all have to show and appeal to Christ's love. Paul doesn't order this. He appeals to Christ's love. And this is Paul's message to Philemon, and we're going to talk more about that as we go on today. Because we don't know exactly where Philemon goes from here. Although we have the same charge, do we not? Um, the Holy Spirit has led people to include this in the canon of Scripture so that we can also be challenged in the same way with the same message today. So we included the prodigal son story this week because it shows the radical love of Jesus Christ that Paul is appealing to. And I think it goes really well with this letter. If we were to put the people from the book of Philemon into the prodigal story, Philemon would be the father. He's in that place of leadership. He's the one that has somehow been wronged. And Onesimus would be the prodigal son, right? Who sinned against the father and fled. That's kind of what it looks like. That's kind of what we're talking about here in Philemon. This ends a little different. The context is a little different. But I think it paints the picture here that Paul is trying to paint. Christ's love is illustrated by the father in the prodigal son story, right? The father welcomes back the son, runs to him to greet him on the road with open arms. 
despite the wrongdoing, despite the brokenness, despite the awkwardness that will definitely ensue as they start working on this relationship together. Allison mentioned the language of this letter in Philemon, this, the words brothers, comrades, partners, this koinonia, this sort of godly community that goes deeper than blood ties, and it goes deeper than a slave and slave-master relationship. It goes deeper than, a, than just a normal person that you might see on the street. There's something deeper in Jesus Christ that bonds together the people of God. And Paul has experienced this love for himself, right? Paul was Saul, who encountered Jesus through a miracle, through this divine revelation on the road to Damascus in a way that utterly changed his life. Not only was he convinced that Jesus was real and the Son of God, but the love of Christ became pervasive in Paul's life. And that changed his life, the trajectory of his life. He has experienced this love on a crazy deep level. Paul has been the prodigal son. Paul has been the Onesimus. And he's encountered the grace and the mercy of the Father. And that's what he's urging to happen here today. So Philemon has these choices upon receiving Paul's letter. And this is probably an oversimplification. I give give Philemon three choices, okay? First, he can ignore the appeal to Christ's love and act as the typical Roman slave owner would probably act. He could demand justice. He could demand punishment or imprisonment for Onesimus. He could demand compensation for Onesimus' transgressions. Paul actually addresses that too uh, and offers to pay whatever it is uh, that Onesimus owes. Philemon can ignore Paul's appeal and he can let the bitterness and the resentment of being hurt and sinned against run his life. Even though he's committed to follow Jesus in other areas, even though he's still looked looked upon by Paul as, as a prominent Christian and a leader in the church, he could kind of section off this area and just let bitterness run. He could do exactly what the world would expect him to do if a slave ran away. Another option that he has is he could go through the motions of of answering Paul's plea. He could welcome Onesimus back, but avoid the conflict and the tension that comes with actually sorting things out in their relationship. He could do it without seeking love. He could do it without showing forgiveness. Essentially looking the part but not experiencing restoration in the relationship I think this one is really easy. It'd be really easy for him. It'd make, it'd make uh, Paul happy, maybe on the surface, uh, and it'd also make uh, him happy because he wouldn't have to get into this awkward situation with Onesimus, right? But this would be, still be ignoring Paul's spirit-led plea to appeal on the basis of Christ's love, to have Christ's love be what reconciles this relationship. So the first option is ignore it completely. The second option is to go through the motions but not really have that reconciliation, right? I think we can all think of moments in our lives where we've handled conflict in one of those two ways, or maybe both. The third option that I'm going to give Philemon here can, is this. Philemon can seek true Christ-honoring and loving reconciliation, the same that the prodigal father shows as a catalyst for this relationship to truly be mended like Jesus' relationship with us. Philemon can welcome Onesimus, not expecting everything to be peachy and perfect, Right? Just because the prodigal father welcomes his son with open arms doesn't mean there's not work to do as they continue to rebuild their relationship, right? Paul has already set this example because Paul has already taken this awkward relationship over here that's broken and fractured and stepped into it to be a catalyst for these things to happen. So Paul has shown this by example. Paul has called Onesimus' brother himself. He's recognizing that Onesimus is now just like Paul, 
just like Philemon, in the body of Christ, there's unity in the love of Jesus Christ. So these are Philemon's choices, I think. And again, we don't know what he did, but we have to ask ourselves what we would do and what we are going to do when we experience relational conflict and brokenness. And friends, this is the gospel for us. We have a broken relationship with our Father in heaven. And Jesus has stepped into the sin and the chaos and the tension of this world in order to love us radically, as nobody else could love us, in order to humbly pay the price for reconciliation. And he shows us a love that doesn't just leave us where we are in our sin, but it transforms us and it makes us more like Christ as we grow in that relationship. This gospel is the same gospel that transformed Onesimus. It's the same gospel that transformed Paul and Philemon, me and you. So if we really want to live out this gospel and be good stewards of what the scriptures are compelling us to do in the book of Philemon, how do we pursue reconciliation in the midst of our own conflicts, right? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. Uh, the Holy Spirit works this scripture, this understanding through us so that our lives may look different, so that our love can be more like the love of Christ and less like our sinful nature. So how do we pursue reconciliation? First of all, it's hard and it's messy and it's not easy. Jesus's ministry was messy. Why would we expect ours to be any less messy than Jesus's when he was perfect and we are not? And sometimes when we experience broken relationships, sometimes we're not in a place where we're ready for that reconciliation, let's be honest. And sometimes the other people or the other parties in the conflict aren't quite ready to have that conversation. That's a reality, and that makes it messy, because we might really, really desire to have a restored, restored relationship with somebody, and they're just not wanting to have that conversation. That's a possibility. There is no step-by-step -step plan that will magically work. I can't give you five steps to a reconciled relationship with another human being. It just doesn't work that way. Conflict and tension take on many forms, just like the individuals in the conflicts are all unique and take on many forms. And all of this brokenness is a result of sin. Adam and Eve, they had it good before sin entered the world, and then they experienced broken relationship with each other, broken relationship with their creator. All of this is a result of sin. The world may prescribe it differently or say that it's about different things, but for us, we know that it's, it's our brokenness, it's their brokenness, it's humanity's brokenness that is wrecking our relationships and straining our relationships. I think that Jesus wants his body, his church, you and me, to be people who are willing to step into this tension, just as Paul shows us with Philemon and Onesimus. So we can't fix it. There's no step-by-step -step plan. But here's some things to devote yourself to and remember when you're seeking out Christ-honoring reconciliation. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. But I think this is a really good place for us to start because finding the place to start for us is sometimes the issue, right? We don't know where to start to work on these relationships. I think the first thing that we can keep in mind as followers of Jesus is humility. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I think we must realize that in our lives, as we are going to bear the love of Christ and step into the tension of these relationships and the conflict, it's very important that humility leads us to be loving first. How many of us step into a conflict and we just want to be heard and we want to be right? Them are fighting words, right? You want to step in and you want to be right. And maybe you are right. Maybe, maybe you are bringing the truth. But Jesus steps into these conflicts in love, even when the sin is great. Think of the story of the adulterous woman again. 
Jesus steps in. He doesn't condemn her, but he does say, go and sin no more. And there's the beginning, because he has shown mercy, he has shown grace, he has shown love, and then he compels her to go and sin no more. It is very much important for us as Christians to be loving first, because Christ loved us first, even in our sin, even in our brokenness. And the opportunity to be heard, to be understood, will come with time, but it doesn't have to be the first thing. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean the truth isn't important. It doesn't mean proclaiming the truth isn't important, but it means it all has to happen in the context of love. A posture of humility is one that recognizes that we too have sin. We too have issues. We have a role to play in the brokenness in this world. We have a role to play in the brokenness of our own lives and in the lives of others. And we cannot escape that reality on this side of paradise. But Jesus is working on us, right? Jesus compels us to be more like him as he works to transform us and sanctify us through the power of his Holy Spirit. So humility, that's the first thing. All of these conflicts and tensions that we experience with one another in the body of Christ or in a community, whatever, humility. The second thing is this, is prayer. And that seems like a Bible Sunday school answer, I know. Um, But Paul writes in Philemon, uh, verse 6 here, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Paul is already praying for him. Paul is already praying for this situation so that Philemon would understand how important Jesus is to every piece of his life, every relationship, every sin issue, every piece of broken life Jesus can influence and bring life into. We believe that God hears us, right, when we pray. That's a good, good opportunity to say, yes, yes, we believe that God hears us. We don't always act like it. So if we believe that God hears our prayers, good. Let's, let's act like we believe God hears our prayers. Not saying you aren't, but we can always do better, right? So let's act like we believe it, and let's be people of prayer. And if you want your heart to change towards somebody that you're in conflict with, maybe start praying for that person. You'd be surprised how much God will change your heart, even if what you're praying is really to see somebody else change. If you have a hard time relating with people in poverty, start praying for people in poverty. If you have a hard time relating um, with somebody that's, that's just a very different age than you, start praying for those people of a very different age than you. If you have a hard time relating to uh, some new young pastor who sits up here and plays guitar all the time, start praying for that pastor who plays guitar all the time. Jesus changes the prayer just as much as he changes the circumstances and the situation. So humility and prayer, I think, and this isn't just for conflict, friends, this is for everything in our lives. Humility and prayer. We have a wonderful example in Jesus Christ as we read the scriptures and see how he handles certain situations. And we believe that the Holy Spirit can lead us even when our situations look different or might be a different sort of complex than what Jesus experienced. So humility and prayer. And the third thing... um, that really gets back to what Allison uh, challenged us with last week, is that we should actually act on this. In James 1.22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We aren't merely to read the book of Philemon and say this is a great idea and not act on it. We are called in Christ to take action to show the love of Christ in these broken and fractured and tensioned relationships. This is not a theoretical concept that we can think rightly about but never act on. It is meant to be lived out as we learn to walk with the Holy Spirit in wisdom and in truth. And yes, again, it's going to be messy, but it's necessary 
if we're going to show the love of Christ in these relationships. Now, what if you don't desire reconciliation? What if, you, what if you're not there yet? Well, I think you can still start with humility and prayer, right? If we recognize in our own lives that there's a wall or that there's some sort of angst or bitterness, um, we know that that's not Christ. We, we know it. And we know that Jesus has the power to change us and transform us for the better. So what we do is we take those things humbly to the Lord in prayer. And we pray that someday soon we will be in a place where we desire reconciliation. That's really important. Because it's just as easy for you and for me to hold bitterness and resentment towards somebody as it is for somebody else. We're not exempt from that problem. And if you do desire reconciliation today, I think we are called to act on it. Like Allison said last week, Jesus calls us to actually appeal on the basis of Christ's love to actually step into the tension of a broken or strained relationship to seek understanding, to show the love of Christ, to forgive where forgiveness is needed, to accept forgiveness where it is offered, and to experience Christ-honoring reconciliation. And if the burden is on your heart in this situation to see reconciliation, there's a good chance the Holy Spirit has placed that burden there so that you can be a catalyst for that. And maybe that's a relationship that's broken between you and someone else or some group, or maybe that's loved ones that you see in conflict. Maybe God's calling you to be a catalyst for God-honoring Christ reconciliation in those relationships. So we have humility, we have prayer, and we have action. In the context of our church family, um, Paul, Paul is writing this addressing two Christians in conflict, right? That's the main context of this letter. It has implications for other areas of our lives, but these are two Christians in conflict. I think God is calling us, as, as people of Emmanuel, as people, Christians in Story City and the surrounding area, God is calling us to be people who can love as Christ has loved us, who can answer the call of Paul to walk into the tension and to love like Jesus loves. Ultimately, I think we can relate to each person in this letter, right? If we can put ourselves in the shoes of Paul, of Onesimus, and Philemon. So, so in many ways, we're all like Paul. We've experienced the love of Christ in a transforming way. That's, that's why many of you have been here for years and years and years, because you've experienced the transforming love of Jesus Christ, and you want to keep growing. So in many ways, we're like Paul. We've experienced it. Now we desire other people to have that same experience of love, of grace, of reconciliation, and to see it lived out in our own Christian relationships. So in many ways, I think we can relate to Paul here. I think we can all relate to Onesimus because we've all sinned. We've all hurt somebody. We all have transgressions. We've all run from our problems at some point in our lives. And we have come to a place of repentance, hopefully, and given ourselves to Christ to be healed and restored. That's what happened in Onesimus' life. He sinned. He repented. He now knows Jesus Christ. And now comes this work of reconciliation with the person that he sinned against. And then in a way, we're all like Philemon, right? We're being urged to examine our own lives and to take on our call as Christ's love agents to be agents of reconciliation and to be restoration in the body of Christ. Like That is what we are called to do. And we have a choice, just like Philemon has a choice. We can ignore the conflict, we can go through the motions, or we can truly seek and appeal to the love of Christ, as Paul urges us to do. So I ask you today, it's not theoretical, so I ask you today, who is it that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind that you need to have reconciliation with? Who is it? Or maybe there's more than one. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's an individual. Who needs you to take a step in Christ's love to humbly pray for them and act 
towards forgiveness, to appeal to the love of Jesus Christ. I guess we can all think of somebody. The next question, to whom in the body of Christ do you harbor resentment or bitterness towards? That's an uncomfortable one. There might be people in this room that you are bitter towards. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you do. How can Christ bring light and love and life to that relationship? And for our church, there have been plenty of conflicts in any church family. Emmanuel's not exempt from that. Who do you see that has walked away or drifted away because of a conflict that needs to know that you still love them, that we still love them, that Jesus still loves them and care about them in Christ's love? Where are some of those relationships that need reconciliation? How can you be a catalyst for that love through Jesus Christ? These things are your homework. They're your next steps. We're not going to talk about Philemon next week, but I hope these principles stick with you. Because as the body of Christ, Jesus is not content to leave us in brokenness. Jesus does not love to see our relationships fractured. He desires restoration. He desires his love to permeate through every single relationship. And by God's grace, through the love of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have hope that this is a possibility and that reconciliation will happen. Because God's love is big. God's grace is big. God's mercy is big. And I don't think we should underestimate it even for the biggest conflict that we can experience. Let's pray. Lord, you do call us to be people who appeal on the basis of Christ's love in every, every single way in our lives. Lord, we, we look at that calling and we, we know, Lord, that we do not live up, that we can't do it on our own. So, Lord, we ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit to help us take steps in that direction. Lord, for those people or groups that came to our mind when we thought about who we need reconciliation with, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would work in the hearts of the other people and of all the parties involved, Lord. Lord, and we pray that we would be able to appeal on the basis of love, the love of Jesus Christ, that we would experience reconciliation, Lord, and it's going to be messy and it's going to take time, but Lord, we know this is what you call us to because you've proclaimed it through Paul in this letter to Philemon. So Lord, we pray that you would lead us in that direction that we would be catalysts for healthy, loving relationships that find their unity not in our human similarities, but in the blood of Jesus Christ and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the hope of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that you have done this for us, that we, we are, have salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have reconciliation with you, Lord Jesus, through the blood, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray that this would be a reality in all of our relationships, Lord. Show us the next steps. Lead us in the next steps. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.